You know, it's, it's interesting this Sunday, of course, the Sunday before election day. And we know that we've been bombarded over the last six, eight, 12 months, whatever, uh, just with, with messages, with messages of campaigns on one side or the other or different candidates, so on and so forth. And, it, you know, it's, it is absolutely vital that we as Christians engage in the voting process. And if you haven't voted, I hope you do on Tuesday. You know, I had the opportunity to do that last week. And it's really important that we do that because, you know, the Lord has placed us in this country at this time for such a time as this. Okay? You're not here by accident. And the Lord has placed us in this country with the opportunity to engage in that process. But here's the thing. In all these messages that we're hearing from all the different candidates and different political parties, so on and so forth, as Christians, we have to first realize that our hope is not in other men or women. Our hope is not in a political party. And no matter what happens on Tuesday, our hope is still secure. Whether the candidate you want to win wins or not, our hope is still secure. One of the things that I've noticed, especially, you know, in these last couple months, is there's a lot of fear that's taking place, not just in the country, and that's, that's expected. I mean, the world deals with fear all the time, but in the church, there's a lot of fear in the church. And that fear has led to a lot of people becoming hopeless or despairing over where we are. And, you know, unfortunately, in our political climate, the messages we hear from the candidates are not helping that fear. Uh, A lot of times, that whole system plays on fear. But as Christians, we need to be very, very careful. We need to be very, very aware of where our focus is of what we're focused on, and how we are representing Jesus Christ. Because the hope of this country does not lie in Washington. It lies in Jesus Christ. And we need to hear from a campaign that is not of this earth, right? We need need to hear from a leader who is not vying for votes. We need to hear from a leader who was never voted in and can never be voted out. We need to hear from a leader, a leader who does what he says and says what he does, whose promises are true, who never lies, who has never done anything that he can be ashamed of, And a leader who served us and doesn't want us to serve him in the sense of being puffed up. Jesus said when he was on earth, I have come to serve, not to be served. And to give my life a ransom for many. There's only one person who has ever laid his life down for those who would follow him. 
That's the type of campaign we need to hear from. That's the type of leader we need in this country. And folks, that's the type of leader we represent as the church of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to bring you a message not from a political campaign. I want to bring you a message from the kingdom campaign. And you see, the kingdom campaign doesn't end on Tuesday. It didn't start two years ago. It has no beginning and will have no end. And there is no other person, entity, or campaign on earth or in heaven that could ever defeat it. So this morning, again, I'm going to bring you a kingdom campaign message. So in the spirit of the kingdom campaign message, I'm wearing the obligatory political suit today. The blue suit, the white shirt, and the red tie, right? Because that's what messengers of campaigns do. So I figured I'd break out the, uh, the old suit here and represent Jesus. So with that in mind... I want to take a look at this country from a kingdom perspective. And I want to bring the kingdom message into our context because that's the message we need. It's just natural for human beings, men and women, to spin, if you will, circumstances for their advantage. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't spin anything. Jesus always speaks the truth. And Jesus never holds back the truth for fear that somebody's not going to like him. Because he loves us too much to hold back what is true. So the kingdom campaign message is a message that is true. And it's from the one who not just speaks the truth, but who is the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. He didn't just say, I give you the truth, but I am the truth. See, truth is not just facts and and data. Truth is a person. And anything he says is true. So we need to hear from the truth himself. In situations like this, where... Right now, it's just chaos. And especially, you know, we've got a very contentious election, a very pivotal election going on in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. I mean, what are the, what are the chances of all those converging all at once? And in that, as I mentioned, there's a lot of fear. And there's a lot of consternation. And, you know, in the Christian world, there's a lot of Christians who have spun the kingdom message to promote their perspective. And there's a lot of condemnation among Christians in regards to if you believe Jesus, then you would or wouldn't do this or that. We need to be very careful how we're representing Jesus. There's a great illustration of a situation like this in the Bible of how Jesus And his perspective changes everything. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to the book of Joshua. It's Joshua chapter 5. So let me give you some backstory here. In the book of Joshua, of course, Moses 
has passed the mantle on to Joshua. Moses has died. The Israelites are on the edge of the, the promised land. Whole new generation is raised up. And Joshua leads them across the Jordan River into the, the promised land. Now, their very first battle was the battle of Jericho. So here they are getting ready for the very first battle, the battle of Jericho. And that starts in, in chapter 6. But right before it in chapter 5, Joshua has an interesting encounter with Jesus. He has an interesting encounter with the commander of the Lord's army. This is the eve of the battle. So we in the United States right now, if you will, are on the eve of a great battle that's going to take place on Tuesday. And we're in the midst of that battle. And there's a lot of people wondering, who, who is God for? You know, is God for this candidate or that candidate or this party or that party? You know, what's God doing? And again, as I mentioned, there's a lot of Christians who want to declare God's preference in this election. But I want to share Jesus's perspective in the midst of a great battle. So it's Joshua chapter 5, starting in verse 13. When Joshua was, was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, now here's the question. Are you for us or for our adversaries? And really, that's, I think, what a lot of Christians are asking in the midst of this situation. God, who are you for? Who are you for? Are you for this candidate or this party or that candidate or that party? Where do you stand, Jesus? So are you for us or for our adversaries? And he, now this is a what's called a Christophany, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. And we know it's Jesus because in this next verse, this man says, no. So there's an interesting answer. Are you for us or for our enemies? No. What? Wait a minute. It was, it, was, it was an either or question. There was no third option there. Are you for us or for our enemies? No. Now, this is how we know it's Jesus. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. There is only one commander, and that's Jesus. And now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what is it you say to me? So here's Jesus in the midst, on the eve of the battle of Jericho. And no doubt Joshua, you know, this is his first command. This is the big one. Everything's going to be hinged on this battle. And Joshua wants to know, okay, are you for us or are you for, for our enemies? What's Because I'd really like to know. You're on our side going into this battle. You know, and a lot of Christians are like, I'd really like to know where you're at, Lord. You know, coming into Tuesday, what's going to happen? But Jesus says, no. As the commander of the Lord's army, now I have come. I like the way Tony Evans puts this. He says, Jesus doesn't show up to pick sides. Jesus shows up to take over. Amen? Jesus shows up to take over. And his answer to Joshua is, I'm for neither. I'm for 
me. I'm for the kingdom. And here's the thing. In the midst of this, God had a plan. God had already told Moses, I'm going to give you the promised land because the Lord had sovereignly chosen Israel. But it wasn't choosing Israel over all the other nations because, as it says in there, that Israel was not chosen because they were better. It wasn't, they weren't chosen because that they had greater righteousness than the other nations. They were chosen because that was God's sovereign choice. And God chose them through Abraham to represent the kingdom. And I think here, what, what Jesus is saying to Joshua is saying, wait a minute, this is not about you. This is not about Israel. This is about the kingdom. I'm not coming here to represent you. You're here to represent me. And in the church today, we need a reminder that God's not here to represent us. God's not here to represent our desires or our wishes. We are here to represent him. We're here to reflect him. We're here to advance his kingdom, not a political one, not a political person or party. We're here to advance the kingdom of God. So how should we, as ambassadors, as the Bible calls us, of the kingdom of God, represent God? How should we represent the kingdom? Over the last 20 years in this country, there's absolutely no doubt that a door of judgment has been opened. There's no doubt. 9-11 was a watershed moment. And since then, there has been an increasing amount of events, let's just put it that way, that have occurred over the last 20 years, up to and including coronavirus. And in those 20 years, what have we as the church done? See, the Lord is not looking to the world. He's looking to us. When God placed Israel in the position it was in, it was supposed to be the city on the hill for all the other nations. To be the representation of the kingdom of God. Jesus established the church to be that city on a hill. In fact, that's exactly what he called us. You're like a city on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. And we are to reflect that light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. But I think for many decades and really over the last 20 years, the church has kind of gotten its message mixed with a lot of other things. And I think a great revelation of that is the last year or so in this whole campaign season where the church seems to be more interested in a political kingdom rather than God's kingdom. And you know, that's the way it was when Jesus showed up, right? 
When Jesus showed up, the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the church, if you will, or the people of God at that time were looking for a political deliverer. Even his own disciples, after he was resurrected, said to him, uh, okay, now? How about now? Now? Are you going to do it now? And now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you going to overthrow Rome and, and deliver us from this political oppression? And in that mist, they missed the opportunity. They missed the fact that God himself was standing right in front of them. And they're looking over here for a political deliverer. They had in mind how God was going to move. I fear that right now in this country, in the church in this country, we are more interested in God bringing about a political result than we are the kingdom result. We're more interested in God making our lives comfortable again rather than bringing about the fulfillment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the last 20 years, our comfort has really taken a hit. And after all these events, 9-11 and, and the, the financial collapse in 2008, we see these prayer movements beginning to, to, to rise up. And that's great. We absolutely need prayer. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But one of the things we have to be careful of is, are we praying for thy kingdom come, or are we praying for my comfort come back? Comfort oftentimes is the enemy of commitment. We're more comfortable doing the things that God wants us to do when it's easy. When there's no pushback. When there's no sacrifice. When things are going the way I want them to go. But when things go a different way, well, now i got to really decide, do I want to do that, you know? Do I really want to represent Christ? Or, you know, am I just more interested in my comfort? than I am in the kingdom. God doesn't give a rip about our comfort. Okay? And I don't mean God isn't the comforter. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is us just being comfortable. We live in a country that is the richest country in the history of the world. No country has ever been as rich as the United States has you know, I've been to Central America many times with Stephen Evans. And believe me, it's a different world. It is a completely different world. Having a front door is a, is a blessing in this country. There's many places we went to. They had the cutout, but there was no door. There was no window. There was no floor. There was no AC. There was no Starbucks. None of that. They were lucky to get a meal that day, let alone watch the Cowboys on TV. And we, over the last, however long we've been alive, and especially the last 20 years, have taken a hit to our comfort. And it's revealed the fact 
that a lot of us do value our comfort more than we do the kingdom. And we have to be very, very careful, folks. We have to be very, very careful. Because when God brought judgment to Israel, he gave them a window to, to repent. And there are many times in the, if you read through Kings and Chronicles, where a righteous king was raised up like Hezekiah, and he brought the nation back to God, and there was repentance and revival. But it wasn't because God took the judgment away. It was because the people returned to their commitment to God. In the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, the Lord speaks to seven different churches. And all but one of them, he says, I have this against you. And he calls them out and says, you need to change. In chapter 3, starting in verse 14, he speaks to the church in Laodicea. And he says, the words of the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. What does that mean to be spit out of Jesus' mouth? It means we are no longer being used by Jesus to communicate his truth. In the first church, at the very beginning, he says, I will take away your lampstand. That means the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus will no longer shine through that church. What a judgment for a church to be in existence, in existence that no longer speaks for Jesus and no longer shines for the gospel. That's not a church. Jesus goes on to say, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Now here's this next, this next verse is a verse we use very often in the context of evangelism. And there's nothing wrong in using it in the context of evangelism. But here's the thing. There's a, there's a biblical interpretation principle that teaches that context is what will give you the proper interpretation of a verse. So here we all of a sudden have context of what we're talking about here. So let me read this next verse within this context. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now we say that all the time in evangelism. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But the original context of that verse is God speaking to a church, a group of believers that they are under judgment because they have left their first love. Because they are thinking they're rich, they are cold and not hot. And he says, hey, I'm standing at the door and knocking. He's speaking to believers, not unbelievers. He's knocking at the door of our hearts and saying, hey, you strayed. 
And I'm bringing discipline to reprove you so you will repent. You know, in our, in our country, we look around and we see all this chaos. We see all the things that are going on, especially right now. These, these last eight or nine months have been brutal. And of course, you know, as I said earlier, we're in the midst of one of the most contentious elections, probably one of the most pivotal elections in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. And, you know, everything all of a sudden has become political. You can't, I mean, you can't say good morning without somebody taking it politically. And it's just non-stop. But have we stopped to really look at things from God's perspective? Again, as I said earlier, there's a lot of fear in the church. And there's a lot of Christians who are looking at the context uh, and the circumstances that we're living in right now, and they're looking at it from a very fearful perspective, as if there's no hope. And I've heard Christians say that this is God's judgment and we're doomed. You know, God's going to bring it. It's going to get worse. And, you know, just go hide in the corner and hunker down until Jesus comes back because it's just going to get worse. Folks, that's a victim mentality. That is a victim mentality. As we just sang earlier, Jesus wears not the victim crown, the victor's crown. And as Christians, we can walk in that victory. But it takes something on our part. If you're familiar with Charles Finney, Charles Finney was called the father of modern revivalism. He was the one who implemented what we now call as the altar call. He, he called it the anxious seats. What he would do is he would, he would empty the first couple pews in, in a church and call them the anxious seats because when he would preach, people who were convicted of their sin would get anxious and they'd start trembling because, you know, the Lord would bring it to their mind, all the things they were doing, and they looked anxious. So he called it the anxious seat. Eventually, we came to know it now as the altar call. He wrote some lectures to his students called Lectures on Revival. If you've never read them, I highly recommend that you would read those. Uh, I think most of it is in the public domain now, so you can get it free on Amazon or whatever. But I want to read a couple excerpts from those lectures. And I want to read them in the context of where we are today. Because if we look at our circumstances only from a fear perspective, we're going to miss what God's doing. We're going to miss what God is calling us to do in response to what he's doing. So, This is from a section in his book called When a Revival is Needed. And I'm just going to pull a couple excerpts. Now, he uses some terminology that that is different today than he used back then. He he calls, you know, Christianity religion. So don't don't get tripped up on that word. He uses religion a lot. He, He doesn't use it in the same context that we use religion. When there is a want of brotherly love and Christian confidence among professors of religion, then a revival is needed. When there are dissensions and jealousies and evil speakings among professors of religion, then a great need is for revival. When there is a worldly spirit 
in the church. When the church finds its members falling into gross, scandalous sins, when there is a spirit of controversy in the church or the land, is there a spirit of controversy going on right now? There's all kinds of controversies. When the wicked triumph over the church and revile them, when sinners are careless and stupid and sinking into hell unconcerned, it's time the church should bestir themselves or wake themselves up. And then he says this, and this is really what I want to get to as I move towards where we're going today. Because we look at all that's going on and, and it's easy to, to get overcome with fear and think, oh, it's over. You know, there's nothing that, that we can do. Let's just kind of hang out in the corner and wait till Jesus comes back. But Charles Finney says this, the prevalence of wickedness is no evidence at all that there is not going to be revival. That is often God's time to work. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against him. Often the first indication of revival is the devil getting something up in opposition. Where are we right now in this country? We're in a circumstance where everything that Charles Finney mentioned is happening and more. There's more that he talks about. That's just a quick excerpt out of his book. There's all kinds of stuff going on in this this country that clearly indicates we're under judgment. But we have to be careful. Because if we are putting our hope in a political party or a political person, what happens on Tuesday is going to make or break whether we think we have hope. And that is absolutely not the truth. Regardless of what happens on Tuesday, there's always hope. Because Jesus has more authority than any person in authority on earth. And Jesus will always triumph over anything the enemy does, over anything that man does, over any policy or political platform. It doesn't matter. Good, bad, or indifferent. Jesus always has the last word. Are you for us or for our enemy? No. But as the commander of the Lord's army, now I have come. Jesus showed up at a pivotal moment in the battle of Jericho. And he's going to show up in a pivotal moment in this country. Right when he's needed. Not to take sides, but to take over. But there's something that we need to do in response to that kingdom campaign message. Because that's the, that's the kingdom campaign message. Jesus is in control. He's not here to take sides. He's here to take over. But he requires something of us. You know, a minute ago I talked about context. That verse, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, again, we, we use that a lot in, in salvation. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with it there. But the original context is very different. And there's another verse that is very popular right now, and rightfully so. But I want to put it back in context for a minute. 
And that verse is 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We're very familiar with that verse. If my people. But how many know 2 Chronicles 7, 13? You see, 7.13 sets up 7.14. And 7.14 is a response to 7.13. It's not standalone by itself. I know it looks great on the wall, but that's not what it was for. So let me read verse 13 for you. This is God speaking. Now, the bigger context of this is Solomon had just dedicated the temple... And he prayed to the Lord that the Lord would remember that place and hear the voice of the people when they pray in that place, even if they go astray. That night, the Lord comes to Solomon in a dream and responds to him. And this is his response to Solomon, starting in verse 13. This is God speaking. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, Or send pestilence among my people. Verse 13. Who's doing it? The Lord. Now am I saying God is the author of coronavirus? That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is God has allowed coronavirus to happen. And there's no doubt. The biblical word for pestilence is clearly disease. This is a pestilence that has ravaged our country and the entire world. And God says, when I send pestilence among my people, I'm not saying he's the author, but he has allowed it. When that happens, what are we supposed to do? That's where verse 14 comes in. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. You know what the answer is to coronavirus? It's not somebody winning the White House on Tuesday. It's the people of God, the church of God, calling on the God of the church in the context of his campaign for thy kingdom come. So on Tuesday, or maybe you've already done it, you're going to go vote. As I said at the beginning of this message, we don't vote Jesus in and we can't vote him out. But we can vote for him, if you will. And here's how we do it. We follow 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We recognize the author of judgment. See, a lot of people, when they talk about all the things that have occurred over the last 20 years, they act as if the devil's in control. He is not in control. The Lord is in control. And it is the Lord that allows judgment, whether he is the author of it or he allows it to occur. He's still the one in control. And when he shuts up heaven, 
when he commands the locusts, or we, when he sends pestilence, if my people, those I love, I discipline and I reprove. So be zealous and repent. You want to change in this country? It's not going to happen on Tuesday. It's going to happen when the people of God humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, and repent. That's when it's going to happen. Every single revival that has occurred on this planet starts with repentance. It does not start with rejoicing. I see a lot of people seeing all these rejoicing and saying, this is revival. That is not yet revival. Revival always goes through the doorway of repentance until the people of God come to the place where they are humbled before God, turn from their wicked ways, and repent before him. We cannot expect revival. I don't care how exciting we can get or how excited we get, or how great a service is. Repentance is always the doorway that leads to revival. There is no other door. And the faster we go through that door, the sooner we're going to see revival. So yes, we need to vote on Tuesday. But today, we need to vote for revival. We need to vote for thy kingdom come. We need to vote for the platform of the kingdom of God, for the king of kings and lord of lords to influence and exert his power in this country. Because there's no other answer. There's no other answer. Because there is no man on earth, no woman on earth, who has the power to overcome God's judgment. There's only one entity on earth that God calls to stand in the gap. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team to come out. And I'm going to ask you to vote this morning. We're not going to cast a ballot. But we're going to cast ourselves at the mercy seat of God. We're going to cast our sin before God and ask him to forgive us. We're going to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God so that he would lift us up. We're going to intercede on behalf of this country because this country sits on the brink. In the Old Testament, we see There were times of revival in Israel, but we also see a time when God wiped Israel off the face of the earth because they did not repent. And if God did not spare Israel, he will not spare our country. And the hope is not the people out there changing, it's the people in here changing. It's the church changing. It's the church repenting. When the great revivalist Charles Finney would go to churches and the churches began to repent and the people in the churches would confess their sin and humble themselves, a wave of revival would move throughout that city. 
And it happened over and over and over again. And over a 10-year period, the Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, swept across this country. But it began with one man. It began in one church. And it can begin right here, today. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to either stand or if you're comfortable, you want to come to the altar, you know, be wise as you come up. But we're going to humble ourselves before God. And this is not about them. This is about you and the Lord, us and the Lord. It's about us coming before God as his people to humble ourselves, to pray, to repent for our sin, for the sin of the church, and then stand in the gap for our country. So if you're willing to do that, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you want to kneel it where you're at, if you want to come to the altar, that's up to you. Whatever you want to do. But join us as we stand in the gap for this country.
come before you, Father, to humble ourselves. And Father, we confess today, Father, that we have sinned in your sight. Father, we have turned from your kingdom to the kingdoms of men. Lord, we have stopped trusting in you and we've trusted in other men and women. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for that, Father. Lord, we ask for forgiveness that we have desired our comfort over your kingdom and we have desired our comfort over our commitment to you, Father. And today, Father, we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, as your church, Lord, we ask for forgiveness for not allowing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to shine through us the way you have ordained it to. today, Father, as your people, we vote for you. We vote for Jesus. Lord, we vote for the kingdom campaign to go forth this day. Lord, we call for Jesus to move across through his spirit from every corner of this sanctuary to every corner of our city to every corner of our state, to every corner of our country, Lord, from the north, the south, the east, and the west, Lord, that your people, Father, would humble themselves before you. Lord, we would seek your face. Lord, we would turn from our wicked ways. Oh, Lord, we we confess, Lord, that you are the sovereign God who is in control of all things. And we recognize today, Lord, your hand of judgment upon us and our country. But today, Father, we stand on your word that says when you discipline us and reprove us, Lord, you call us to repent. So today, Father, we begin that process of repentance and we ask for your forgiveness, Father. Lord, I pray that through this repentance, Lord, you would Build in us a spirit of prayer and intercession, Lord, today. We intercede for our country. Lord, we stand in a gap for every corner of our country, Lord, from north to south to east to west, for every single person, Lord. Forgive us for looking at this country through condemning eyes, Lord. Give us compassion for the people whom you died for. Give us compassion for these people who are lost and blinded to the truth of Jesus Christ, Lord. Give us a heart, Lord, that would share that love with them in whatever way you see fit, Lord. Give us a heart to be the hope of this country, to be the city on a hill, to be that lampstand that calls in the darkness that Jesus is the one who saves, that Jesus brings the hope of glory, Lord, that your name would be spread across this country, Lord, that we would not look to Washington, but we would look to heaven and call upon the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that your name would be declared so that every name would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Father, we give you this country right now in Jesus' name.
humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, you will hear from heaven. You will forgive our sin and you will heal our land. We just declare that healing over our land right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a hand this morning. Folks, this is just the beginning. This is not an end. It's a beginning. And what started here needs to continue here. And wherever you are right now, if you're at home, continue it right there. You're just as much a part of this as each and one of every one of us. Because God is not limited by walls or location. So today, I want you to know that Jesus heard your prayer. Jesus has forgiven your sin. And through us and our continued commitment, he will heal our land. He will heal our land. He will heal our land. There is no doubt in my mind, the greatest revival we've ever seen is yet to come got to do our part and I I just I encourage you to continue that spirit of repentance and humility and seeking his face every single day